doctrine is divisive, as in all those apologetics ministries, all of those discernment ministries are doing God a disservice. It's causing a rift in the body of Christ. Wait, is it? This is Michael Bohm. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome back. So, yes, today we're going to be talking about doctrine. We're going to talk about theology. Is it important? You know, when I thought about doing this episode, uh, it made me think back to so many podcasts I've listened to where somebody will spend a lot of time talking about the importance of apologetics. And I always... I can't stand those types of podcasts because I feel like, well, yeah, duh, of course, we've got to defend the faith. Uh, But here I am now doing a podcast that's in that same vein. I've noticed as of late this attitude. And by the way, I apologize. My voice is pretty hoarse. I've been experiencing one whopper of a cold over the last week and a half. This has got to be one of the worst ones I've had in a long time. Uh, But whatever the case... um, There's this attitude that's been popping up as of late that doctrine is divisive, uh, that we really shouldn't be spending a lot of time arguing about doctrine, about focusing on doctrine. Uh, In fact, Ann Lee Stanley came out recently and made a statement uh, basically saying, I would ask preachers and pastors and student pastors in their communications to get the spotlight off of the Bible and back on the resurrection. Now, on the surface, that sounds pretty good, right? I mean, why wouldn't we want to be looking at the resurrection? I mean, in fact, is it not basically the foundation of our Christian faith that uh, Christ died on a cross for our sins, right? He paid for what you and I have done. All of our sins, he took those upon himself on that cross, taking the punishment we deserve and dying and being buried for three days and then rising from the dead, showing, uh, one, that he's God. He conquered the grave, okay? And really, two, uh, that our sins are forgiven. We trust in him alone for our forgiveness. We trust in the fact that he took that punishment upon himself, taking the punishment we deserve, and now we're saved. That really is the foundation of our faith. But, hey, how did I know about all that? How did I know that I'm a sinner? How did I know that Christ even died on a cross? How do I know that he took my sins upon himself? How do I know that he even died on a cross. How do I know that he was buried for three days and rose from the dead? Those are all things that are found within the Bible. There's been uh, somewhat of a rift, uh, a split that's now taking place in the Calvary Chapel movement. And many of you know, uh, I actually attend a Calvary Chapel church. Okay. Uh, 
just as a quick legal disclaimer, I don't buy into everything that's taught at Calvary. But one thing I can say is that I love the expositional verse-by-verse teaching. It's really hard to find a perfect church out there. My goodness, it is so hard to find a good church. Uh, But I love how the Calvary Chapel distinctives work, that they, they focus on through the Bible, cover to cover, verse by verse, expositional teaching. I love that. Having said that, after Pastor Chuck Smith died, uh, the Calvary Chapel movement is starting to uh, have some major problems as more of these hipster pastors are jumping in and trying to, as Anley Stanley is here, take the spotlight off of the Bible and put it on things that are more emotional. Uh, personal opinion. And, you know, we've got to influence the culture and we've got to bring in people into our church. You know, there's something to be said for making your church attractive to the outside community. Uh, But we don't want to make our business entertaining goats. But whatever the case, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. What is up with this idea that doctrine is divisive? Is it? Is that a problem? I mean, when we as believers debate doctrine, does that not also make us look bad? Uh, Does it make us look unattractive to the outside uh, world, to those who are peering into the church and wondering if we have something they don't? You know, there's believers out there that will make statements like, uh, we should drop all doctrinal differences because it's it's really hurting us and that we should band together together. and in unity, you know, let's focus on the, the majors and uh, not worry about the, the not so important things. Let's not worry about doctrine so much. Let's all band together in our love for Christ. You hear statements like this coming from uh, the Pope. Uh, you hear them coming from uh, Mormon, kind of New Age Mormon, really, Glenn Beck. You hear statements like these coming from the emergent church. Okay. Uh, Also, one of the things that uh, people who are more concerned with doctrine get accused of is being Pharisees. That's one of those typical name-calling techniques that, (laughs) uh, I'm not trying to draw any parallels here, but you hear so much from the liberal left. Uh, if, If you don't agree with one of their positions, rather than arguing with you, uh, on on the the points and the merits of those points, well, they'll resort to name calling, and sometimes you hear that even from within the church. You're just being a Pharisee. You're just being divisive. Another thing that I've been accused of in the past is, <laughs> believe it or not, I know some of you are going to fall to your chair laughing. Uh, those at least who are new to this podcast, but I've been accused of bibliolatry. Yeah, that's right, worshiping the Bible. Uh, I was a little shocked when I heard that for the first time myself. I thought to myself, well, now wait a minute. If God himself wrote the scriptures and those words are the very words of God, they're, they're, I mean, in essence, they are an extension of him, right? Those are his words. Um, no, I don't worship his words, but at the same time, would I not, would, wouldn't anybody who worships this God of the Bible Uh, hold his words uh, in the highest possible esteem. Does that make sense? Would you not magnify those words? 
Anyway, uh, this has been somewhat of a long introduction. I got to get going here. So the question stands, did Jesus, did his apostles consider doctrine important, right? I mean, shouldn't that be the number one question? Uh, All the people that are saying that doctrine is divisive and that we shouldn't focus so much on doctrine. Was doctrine critical? Was doctrine absolutely important to people like Jesus uh, and the apostles and even like King David? Was it something that was absolutely central to our faith? Something that we should hold in high esteem again uh, because Well, regardless of the reason, and uh, in this podcast today, we're going to see that conclusively, without a shadow of a doubt, doctrine uh, is absolutely critical to our faith. Right doctrine and just seeking out the, the desire to find right doctrine, to understand what God wrote in his word, is absolutely critical to our faith. Now, Some of you might be saying, hey, wait, hold on a second. We just said that we need to take the spotlight off the Bible, that doctrine is not so important. So now are you going to go back to that Bible, that old dusty book? Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. I apologize if I am. But should we really be going back to that book to uh, prove the point that we need doctrine? Well, this is what I would say to that. If you're basing... uh, this idea that doctrine is not important on anything other than the Bible, um, then basically you're stuck with a subjective opinion. Am I right? I mean, it's now just your opinion, and it's no more compelling, no more persuasive than somebody saying, uh, vanilla tastes better than chocolate, which, by the way, is clearly wrong. Chocolate is better. Uh, But (laughs) it's just an opinion right? Why should anyone believe it? Uh, But on the other hand, if we claim to be followers of this God of the Bible, should we not rather care about what he thinks, what he says? Uh, After all, he wrote this whole book, this whole book that we call the Bible. God took the time to inspire men throughout thousands of years, 40 odd different authors uh, over thousands of years, span across multiple countries, God took the time to inspire these men to write these God-breathed passages. Now, if you don't believe that these are God-breathed passages, uh, we almost need to take a step back and find out uh, whether or not these are divinely inspired. Go back and check out my series on the divine inspiration of the scriptures. Uh, The Bible Uh, stands alone as a 100% inspired book. Obviously, our translations that we have today uh, might have some issues that have trickled in uh, from various translators, and uh, there are some bad manuscripts, but now we're getting into uh, higher criticism and looking at manuscripts. Uh, Whatever the case, in the autographs, you know, as originally written by the original authors, there are no mistakes there, there are no contradictions. See my uh, ever-growing, although I haven't put much effort into it as of late, but the series on Bible contradictions. Again, there are no Bible contradictions. When you look at these verses in context, and you take the whole Bible in account, and you also apply proper biblical hermeneutics, check out my series on hermeneutics, 
Um, it's easy, almost always easy, to decipher and to figure out where these alleged contradictions are not contradictions at all. The Bible's filled with powerful prophecies that were written thousands of years uh, before they came to pass, and they came to pass with perfect accuracy. The Bible's filled with uh, many scientific claims that we have not figured out until modern times in the last like hundred years. And yet we've got these uh, primitive Jews, <laughs> if you will, who knew all of these complex uh, scientific things. Why? How? Well, because God revealed it to them. Uh, and, you know, see my series on uh, science in the Bible. Amazing stuff. Really fun stuff. And I didn't cover all of the different examples that you can find throughout the scripture. I just covered some and it's enough to be very con convincing. So anyway, the Bible is inspired. God took the time to write it. Why? Why would he care? Why would he take the time to write the scriptures to us? Well, he wanted us to know some things. He wanted to know, he wanted us to understand the history of his people. He wanted us to understand uh, what he wants from us through the stories and also just through uh, flat out blank uh, or point blank statements on what you should and should not do. The Bible's filled with these types of statements. What is that? It's doctrine. That's what it is. And by the way, doctrine, uh, the, 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 the actual definition of doctrine is a belief or a set of beliefs held and taught by a church, political party, or other group. Now, uh, this idea that... Um, Doctrine divides that it's not important. If you look a little closely, oddly enough, there's a logical fail <laughs> that can be detected uh, when you consider the, this idea that doctrine uh, is not important or doctrine divides because that teaching that doctrine is divisive and therefore should not be emphasized is in fact, by definition, a doctrine. And therefore, it refutes itself. Does that make any sense at all? Did I just miss some of you guys? <laughs> the idea that doctrine is divisive and should not be emphasized, that in itself is a doctrine. Does that make sense? That's, that's a doctrine. That's something that's being taught in many churches, many churches across the globe. Okay? That doctrine, <laughs> if... That, if that statement, the doctrine is divisive, is true, well, that doctrine in and of itself, being that it's a doctrine, is also divisive. Therefore, the statement refutes itself. It's a self-refuting idea. Okay? So, anyway, all that to say, we really do need to go back to the Bible and find out the foundation. God wrote his word. His word is true. His word is inspired. It's God-breathed. What did God say about doctrine? Does God think it's important? Does Jesus think it's important? Did the apostles think that doctrine is important? Well, let's go ahead and let's start by going to uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 5. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, now he sat at the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will all these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Okay. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Wait, deceives you? What do you mean by that, Jesus? For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. 
Well, just right there, doesn't that tell you that truth does matter? Take heed that no one deceives you, okay? Gives you uh, some type of a false hope or a lie. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. If you skip up to verse 11 and 12, uh, same chapter, Matthew 24, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Again, deceit, lies, as in truth really does matter. Verse 12, uh, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. If you skip to verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so... You know, right there, you don't have an out-and-out statement from Jesus that doctrine is important, but you do see it there. Christ is telling us that truth matters. Deceit is coming. How do you know if somebody's being deceived? How do you know someone's deceiving you? Well, you need to know the truth. You need to be able to divide between truth and error. How do you do that in a biblical context, right? Am I right? How would you be able to recognize Somebody that's saying, I am the Christ, uh, and using his words to deceive many. How, you, how will you be able to decipher that? Unless you know your Bible. You understand the scriptures. You understand doctrine. And you're able to pick out what is being said and, and decipher truth from error. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 6 through 12, Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, in verse 11, he says, How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? Okay, see, so I skipped ahead because I didn't want to confuse you guys. Uh, Jesus is saying, Take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees. Now, in verse 11, he explains what he means by leaven. How is it that, and, and go on into verse 11, how is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the, what? The doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh man, that'll preach. I don't want to get you guys lost on some little side road here, but it's interesting that coming up on Passover, uh, and Passover being this Jewish holiday where the Jews will um, take the blood of a lamb, sound familiar, and spread it on the doorpost of their house so that the angel of death that passed through Egypt and killed all the firstborns, would pass over their house, okay? That death would pass over them. Why? Because of the blood of the lamb. Well, leading up to that festival, or that feast, sorry, uh, they would go through their house and clean out all the leaven. <laughs> Again, pointing forward towards this idea that leaven represents bad doctrine, Interesting, right? But I again, I don't want to make too much of that. Uh, that's one of those shadows and types. Let's stick with the things that are just flat out obvious, okay? So again, J Jesus is flat out saying here, beware of the bad doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus thinks doctrine is important. Right doctrine. How about David, King David? Psalm chapter 119, verses 103 to 104. And David says this, How sweet are your words to my taste. 
sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Hmm. Peter. What about Peter? Second Peter. Uh, by the way, I've done a whole teaching. Uh, it's, I think it was about six parts long on Second Peter. Second Peter is a whole book, obviously. It's not really long. I think it's, what, six chapters long? The whole book, though, the whole letter, if you will, is devoted to warning believers against false teachers and false doctrine and false prophets. The whole book. That's the whole point of the book. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. But there were also false prophets, prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Can I stop right there, guys? Uh, some people might look at it and say, yeah, well, false prophets are a little bit different than having to worry about doctrine. Actually, not so much. Um, nowadays, there is what is referred to as the New Apostolic Reformation. My last series where I interviewed a whole bunch of different people who had been caught up in the New Apostolic Reformation. I've done other teachings on them as well, and there's a lot of overlap with them and the Word of Faith movement. But the New Apostolic Reformation, it is a huge, absolutely huge network of quote-unquote apostles and prophets. This is a global network, guys. This is the biggest cult you've never heard of, okay? This is a global network, and they uh, must submit to this hierarchy, kind of like the Roman Catholic Church, of apostles and prophets. Now, all of these apostles and prophets, they're busting out prophecies left and right. God told them this, and God told them that, okay? How do we know a false prophet? Well, many of you are coming out of your chair and saying, well, I'm a cessationist. I don't believe the gifts are for today. Uh, I hate to say it, but I'm leaning towards that camp as well. Okay, very strongly at this point, very strongly. Uh, I'm leaving the door cracked open for God to move. But at the same time, I'm sorry, but I'm not seeing it. I am not seeing the gifts active in anybody today. And I think the Bible seems to indicate fairly clearly that that's the case as well. But uh, be that as it may, let's say you do allow for a prophets, prophets and apostles. How do you know they're from God? Okay, well, A, you test their prophecies. B, you test their doctrine. Okay, if they're running around claiming that God's, you know, having a cup of joe with them every morning, and, uh, you know, God's always talking to them, as these people regularly do, they're always claiming, well, God spoke this to me, and God spoke that to me, and they're teaching a bunch of heresy. Well, how would you know it's heresy? How would you know that it's false? If you're not in the Word, if you're not studying doctrine, theology, what does the Word say? So, huge rabbit trail. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, uh, or, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresy, even denying the Lord who bought them. Boy, that still happens today, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. They will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. 
I apologize when I put emphasis on words that kind of messes up some of the scriptures here. But you get what I'm saying here. You get what Peter is trying to say here. There are false teachers coming. There are false prophets coming, bringing in destructive heresies. Peter is warning the people against bad theology, bad doctrine. Conversely, what is that then uh, encouraging believers to do? Well, uh, if you were to look at that from a positive aspect, you would say that's encouraging believers to know their word, to know the Bible, to have a powerful command of the scriptures, knowing right from wrong, truth from error. Peter believes in right doctrine. Paul, what about Paul? Oh man, he's got a lot to say, and I don't want to get too bogged down with Paul, but he had so much to say. Like Peter, Paul wrote an entire book focusing, just just as one book, focusing on refuting bad doctrine. The book of Galatians. I have an expositional series on the book of Galatians, all the way through, cover to cover, on Galatians, on that one letter. It's all about the Judaizers. They came into Galatia after Paul had left and started teaching that all these believers needed to follow the law of Moses. All these Gentile believers needed to do and fulfill all of the law of Moses. And Paul, hearing about that, was grieved and wrote that entire letter to the Galatians refuting the Judaizers. Paul thought doctrine was important. Uh, The the very beginning of Galatians goes like this. This is chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Guys, feel the weight of this. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And, and even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. What? What? Yeah, Paul said that. He says, but if we, even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Those are strong words. Is doctrine important to Paul? Absolutely. He goes on in verse 9. He's not messing around, okay? He goes as far as to even reiterate what he's saying. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we have received, let him be accursed. Wow. Let that sink in. It's important. Romans Chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, 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 which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. In other words, their own opinions, their own lusts. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. Hmm. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And I want to interject here. How do you know that? How would you know what is acceptable to the Lord? Going on to verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather 
expose them. Again, I say, how? To those who think that um, I or others spend too much time looking at uh, what people are doing wrong. You know, uh, good theology versus bad theology. Guys, this is what Paul said to do. And this is not the only place in the Bible that this is talked about, okay? I'm not taking one verse out of context and saying, see, here, here's my proof text. I'm going to take that ball and run with it. Now, this is not the only one. Um, there's so many others. In fact, there's one that I failed to mention. Oh my goodness, I can't even believe I didn't mention this when I was talking about Peter. This list of scriptures showing that Christ and the apostles held doctrine uh, as important as they did, is definitely not exhaustive, as you're going to see, because how in the world did I miss this one? Uh, this is Peter as well. First Peter 3.15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and in fear. Mm, yes, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Don't get me started. I'm going to start running the aisle with the tambourine here in a minute. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to get charismatic on all you guys. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Peter, very much. Doctrine is important. And also making a defense, exposing error. Very, very important. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. Beware, I'm going to read it again. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. In parentheses in the Mike Bohm version, it says opinions of men. <laughs> Going on according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Did you get all that? So, I mean, goodness. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Okay, stop right there. Uh, are you seeing what's going on here? Uh, not all who come in the name of Christ are of Christ. And I'm not saying all those preachers out there that say doctrine's divisive uh, and that uh, we need to take the spotlight off the Bible, if you will. Okay. I'm not saying that all these guys are not of Christ. Um, having said that, uh, the warning, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul made this warning, and I think we all need to take heed. Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Yikes. Okay. I ain't pointing fingers to nobody. I'm not calling anybody not of Christ. Uh, okay. Because I don't know. God knows their hearts. I don't. But I am saying that Paul said this. They're out there. They're all over the place. Take heed. Okay? Now, 
changing gears, still talking about Paul. How about Paul's letters to Timothy? Timothy was a young man who uh, was basically a young minister, okay? He was a little self-conscious about his uh, ability to minister because he was a younger man. And, you know, I mean, hey, when younger men try to minister to older, uh, their elders, basically, uh, it's sometimes at times you stop and question yourself and think, you know, why am I up here teaching? Shouldn't it be these guys? (laughs) So Paul is ministering to this young uh, pastor, if you will, okay? So uh, some really good stuff here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? Mm. You know, all of those pastors out there that are telling you to take, you know, who whether they're saying it or just doing it, taking the spotlight off the word and focusing more on, uh, you know, what they feel like they should talk about, maybe self-help, these types of things. Or the I mean, all the way down to the as watered down as you can possibly get self-help Joel Osteen himself up to, I mean, there's so many churches I visited where, you know, you can tell the pastor means well, but the messages contain very little scripture, and it's a whole lot of stories, uh, maybe a couple jokes, and maybe even a movie clip. Um, seriously, be diligent to present yourself proved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, okay? It's our job as ministers to get out there and teach the word. So to to all my brothers out there who are listening to this, who are teachers as well, and I don't care if you're a youth pastor or somebody that just teaches a Bible study on Wednesday nights, okay? It is our job to rightly divide the word of truth. Take it serious, okay? Less stories about yourself, less jokes, okay? I love joking more than anybody else, uh, but seriously, you've got to take it serious, uh, this it, it's it's um it's sobering it really is uh the calling that is on those who teach take it serious uh timothy second timothy chapter 3 verses 13 through 17 but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived but you must continue in the things which you have learned and and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them okay these are not opinions guys uh, Timothy is not getting opinions and traditions of men here. And that from childhood, you have known what? The opinions of men. The teachings of some guys. <laughs> no, it says, and from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Oh, and check this out. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Amen. Sorry, I threw the amen in there. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be almost complete, but he needs to talk to some people and, you know, maybe uh, get some laser lights and some fog machines for his church. Sorry, not. <clears throat> that the man of God may be, what? Complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The King James Version, thoroughly furnished for every good work. 
Amen. I mean, I could have just read that one passage alone and shut this teaching down. I mean, that's about as conclusive as it gets. Guys, we need to get in the Word. The Word is inspired of God. It's it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. We need reproof, guys. Amen. We need to get a spanking once in a while for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Yes. Amen. Let's clean that junk out of our life, all that sin, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-16. through 16. This is a long one, but uh, there's, there's some goodies in here. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, Forbidding to marry, that sounds like the Catholic Church, and commanding to abstain from foods, that sounds like some of the legalist uh, kind of hyper-messianic groups. Anyway, sorry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is, rece- if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness, for bodily exercise profits little. (laughs) But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come check this out, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to what? Doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to what? To the doctrine. (laughs) Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Amen. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. Continue in what? Doctrine. And taking heed to yourself, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. That was a good one. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-4, through 4, And as I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes, rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. Amen. Amen. Okay? Uh, lastly, as far as Paul goes, I know I told you there was going to be a lot of ones, uh, a lot of scriptures with Paul. We're almost done with the scriptures. Second Timothy chapter four, verses two through five, preach the word, 
Be ready in season and out of season. Amen. Breach the word. Okay, check this out. Convince. Okay, that means being persuasive. Uh, you know, teach. And then it goes on, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Okay, in love. Okay, and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Mm. Yeah, Paul's got some really good words for, for this young pastor, Timothy. Love it. And so we see Paul held doctrine in high esteem. Okay, it was, again, critical to his faith. Okay, John, 2 John chapter 1, verses 9-11. through 11, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the, what? Doctrine of Christ does not have God. Ooh, ouch. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Okay, let me stop really quick. Uh, when I say critical, and when I just read that passage there, that does not mean that if you've got some false teachings that you've been holding to, because don't we all? I mean, I would venture to guess that I still have some some dirty, bad, false teachings somewhere in there uh, that I haven't rooted out just yet. I mean, we're, we're all on this quest to learn, right? We want to know what God wants. We want to know who He is, and uh, we want to believe correctly, okay? But... Concerning the doctrine of Christ, who he is, what he did on the cross, you can't mess that up, okay? And that's what John's saying right here. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Okay. Kind of a little side note, a little rabbit trail, which if you're new to this podcast, that happens from time to time. I've been trying to rein them in, but uh, they still happen. Uh, this is not saying that if a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon comes to your door, you, you know, you don't let them in the house and uh, don't serve a Mormon coffee, but, you know, serve them up a cookie or, or some brownies and a cup of orange juice or whatever, you know, be hospitable and sit down and talk doctrine with them and hopefully try to winsomely persuade them to the truth. Uh, that's, that's not saying that, okay? You don't, you don't just leave somebody on your doorstep. I understand some people have a real, real strong conviction that you don't let them in your house. That's not what that's talking about. Um, John was making reference to these traveling preachers. Uh, let's say, okay, how about this one? Let's say that, uh, and this would never happen, but let's say that uh, old Benny Hinn's coming to town. And we all know, I mean, gosh, it, it's hard to find people that, we all know that Benny Hinn is filled with false doctrine, right? Okay, can we all agree on that? Or, or how about uh, Kenneth Copeland? Either of those two guys. They come to town and, uh, you know, let's just forget the fact that both of them are... Uh, multi-millionaires, that they are just ridiculously rich. In fact, yeah, they got money coming out of their ears, right? But let's say they needed a place to stay and you hold them up in your house. You're like, hey, you can stay the night at our house. You basically, with your actions, you have uh, uh, made a sign of doctrinal solidarity, if you will, to the rest of the world. People are looking on and they're thinking, 
he's pretty much saying that uh, him and Mr. Copeland are on one page, doctrinally. They, they, they seem to be sharing the faith. Not so much, right? Not at all. You, you don't want to enter into um, spiritual enterprises with those who have major doctrinal problems. Major. Okay? And bringing somebody in your house to witness to them is not what this verse is speaking about. Now, if you had some traveling Mormon missionaries that came to town and they got their bicycles and their name tags that say elders, you're not going to hold them up in your house. Okay, that's telling the world around you that you are in agreement with their doctrine. Okay, so they, they don't stay at your house. Okay, um, but to have them in your house, to bring them in, and then to try and persuade them, to win them to the truth of God's word, and to the gospel. Oh, that's a whole nother thing, guys. Okay? Rabbit trail over. Let's move on. Does that make sense? Um, anyway, John, talking about doctrine here, in First John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of a God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do you test the spirits? Just asking. How do you test them? How do you test whether they are of God? Um, in Mormonism, uh, you're told to uh, give the spirit a handshake. <laughs> Sorry, because, <laughs> you know, if he doesn't give you the secret handshake back, you know he is not of God. No, but really, how do you know that a spirit is not of God? Well, the scriptures, you know, because you've been reading the scriptures, because you have rightly divided the word of truth. You have a command of the scriptures and you see things, you hear things, you notice things that are not right, they're not scriptural, and you say, wait a minute, that is not of God. Amen? So John, he thinks the doctrine is critical to our faith. Jude, Jude chapter 1 verse 33, Jude chapter 1 verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Again, uh, contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Okay? Doctrine is very important. Luke. What about Luke? Well, in the book of Acts, okay, Luke, Luke's awesome. I love Luke. I love the book of Luke the Gospel of Luke, if you will, and I love the book of Acts, which is kind of like the Gospel of Luke Part 2, the sequel, okay? It continues on with the story. Luke uh, has been uh, referred to as a historian of the first rank. Luke was so careful to put together an orderly account of everything that happened historically with the life of Christ and the life of the early church or the growth of the early church, Okay, he was so careful. Why is that important? Well, he wanted people to understand this is rooted in real history. One, I mean, now we can go back, historians can go back, and with what they've dug up from the dirt, from writings they have found, they can cross-reference, they can put things together, and they can say, wow, um, if, if, if nothing else, whoever wrote the book of uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts was very careful to make sure all of their historical facts are in order. And uh, they didn't have Google back then. Sorry, but they didn't. 
And the fact that, uh, you know, some people think that Luke was writing hundreds of years after the fact uh, and that it's not actually written by Luke, but somebody else. Well, that's refuted very easily in just how amazingly detailed with places, names, uh, the names of various uh, uh, leaders and those who are in authority, all the things that you find within the book of uh, Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke are just amazing. And Luke wanted to make sure that our uh, the writings we got from him were so carefully rooted in real history so as to show us <laughs> the importance. Uh, you know, this is not just some made-up writing, okay? And being that it's not made up, I think you can somewhat bridge the gap to, hey, look at this. Take heed. There's something important here. But in Luke chapter uh, or, or in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 we find this little um, passage and I, it's awesome it says these were more fair minded than those, than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness this is speaking of they were hearing Paul speak Okay, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so they're like, yeah, okay, so you're an apostle, or at least you claim to be, and you're running around doing these miracles, but so what? You know, Benny Hinn does it too. Just kidding, he doesn't actually. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? They're like, no, we're not just going to take your word as gospel truth. We're going to check the scriptures, what they had at the time, and find out whether what you're saying is true or not. Amen? We also have something in the book of Acts that Luke records, Acts chapter 15, I've spoken about this several times in the past. There were these Judaizers who came to Jerusalem, kind of the ground zero of the faith, if you will, and were teaching that all these new Gentile believers, and if what I mean by Gentile is believers, uh, or, or people rather, who were not Jews. So these were early Christians who didn't have a Jewish uh, um lineage. Okay, does that make sense? They were teaching that Gentile believers needed to follow all the laws of, the, of Moses. So they had to uh, eat according to the dietary laws of Moses. Uh, they had to dress in certain ways. They had to observe all the feasts, uh, you know, all these different things that are found within the laws of Moses. Okay. And it created up, it stirred up a big, uh, um, controversy in the early church. Wait a minute. Do the Gentile believers have to do all this? I thought we were saved by grace through faith. Okay. Well, James, um, who was the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, calls together a council. And all these early church leaders come in. And we get all the big boys in the room. Okay. And they have a big debate about this. Um, although it's, when you read it, it's really not much of a debate because they're all on the same page. They all come out at the end of this, this uh, council, this Jerusalem council, stating that we are not to follow the laws of Moses as Gentile believers. Okay, again, if doctrine wasn't important, why would this be a deal? You know what I'm saying? Uh, in a, in a postmodern mindset, when they just say, well, if it's right for you, you know, I mean, hey, we're all going to the same, all roads lead to the same God, and it's okay, and it, it, it's not really a big deal, you know? 
if anything, they would have got together and said the doctrine of the Judaizers is just too focused on doctrine. And we really don't need to be looking so intently at the doctrine. Let's just focus on the resurrection, guys, okay? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They didn't say anything like that. Not at all. Okay, so as we see, it's clear. The Bible clearly teaches the importance of doctrine. Jesus was was, uh, very intent on doctrine. All the apostles, again, uh, conclusively here, we see that doctrine is absolutely critical to our faith. Any argument to the contrary uh, must be based on emotion and personal opinion. And like I said earlier, at that point, it's, it's totally subjective. It's your opinion, and it's not any more persuasive or compelling than somebody saying, I like vanilla because it tastes better than chocolate. Okay, It's an opinion, and why should anybody believe it? Conversely, if we claim to be followers of God, Uh, followers of the God of the Bible, should we not rather care about what he says? So to look at this question, uh, is doctrine divisive? Is it? I think the question really is, is doctrine divisive or are people's response to doctrine divisive? Let that sink in. Doctrine is uh, critically important to Christ and his apostles, as we've seen. Therefore, it should be critically important to us. Amen? I mean, if the Holy Spirit is living in us, we should feel a pull towards right doctrine and correct understanding of God's word. Am I wrong? Amen? Okay, I'm not questioning anybody's salvation here, but it's clear from the Bible that uh, a desire for right doctrine is an absolute in the Christian walk. It's something that we should feel a pull towards. We want to know what this God wants of us. We've trusted in him. He's died for our sins. Who is he? And what does he want? (laughs) You know? It's imperative. Okay? And we should be feeling that Holy Spirit pull towards right doctrine. If you don't feel that pull, you might want to stop and pray about that. Okay? Um... Uh, and, and conversely, to reject correct doctrine, to reject the desire to seek out correct doctrine, to understand what God says in his word, um, is to miss the mark, right? Miss the mark of what Christ calls for his people. What do I mean by that? Well, when you look at the word sin in the Bible, when you Uh, Look at its definition. It's an archer's term. It means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. And the Bible is filled with uh, directions, uh, uh, based commands, if you will. Commands and directions from our God. Do this, don't do that. Seek out this, do not seek out that. Avoid this, go towards that. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? If we reject the idea of desiring to know these things, you're clearly missing the mark of what God is asking. It's sin. It's sin to not want to understand what God wants of us. That's sin. It's missing the mark by definition. Okay? So, in fact, it is a sinful response to doctrine that is the divisive thing. When people divide over doctrine. It is our sinful response to, to doctrine uh, that is divisive. 
not doctrine. The doctrine is not dividing us. It's us. It's saying our personal feelings are more important than the words of God. That's what it's saying. That's something to think about. Say la. Amen. You know, that's something to sit down and pray about and think about and maybe even fast about if this is something that has been a problem in your life. Because this is serious. We really should have a desire to know God and know what he wants from us. The thing is, guys, bad doctrine, bad theology, not knowing your Bible um, can lead to some incredibly damaging effects. Okay, it can damage our soteriology or the doctrine of salvation. Okay, for example, there is uh, Bill Johnson of his uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California. He's got this doctrine of healing in the atonement. The idea that, uh, okay, in Isaiah chapter 53, there's this prophecy about Christ, okay, and his coming and what he's going to do. And at one point it says, by his stripes, we shall be healed. Well, Bill Johnson takes that and teaches that uh, if you're saved, you should be healed. What does that do? That damages people's faith. Okay, I came from a very hyper-charismatic church, and although that teaching was never, uh, to my knowledge, really vocalized uh, and expounded on, it was still kind of there, rolling under the surface. If you're not healed, if you're not walking in healing, uh, then you're probably not saved. We had a guy there in the church who was in a wheelchair and continued to be so until the day of his death. Um, absolutely damaging to his faith. Just disgusting what this type of stuff does to people. Um, other people that, insca- uh, that, that had other problems, like uh, somebody had cancer. People walking with physical ailments. I had just terrible, and still do, terrible allergies. And every year during allergy season, people would be like, oh, you need to rebuke those allergies. And why hasn't God, God hasn't healed you of those allergies yet? And I mean, people started to question my salvation over it. Ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Um, How about this? All who are saved speak in tongues. Okay. What does that do to the doctrine of salvation? I just had a friend uh, at church bring this up recently, uh, and, and it really bothered him because he had a friend who, who goes to a church that's local here in the uh, northern Colorado area, Resurrection Fellowship, and they, um, they have, I don't think that's an official teaching of that church, but you know, it's one of those things that runs in, in those circles, in the hyper-charismatic circles, that all who are saved need to have this baptism of fire that leads to speaking in tongues, and if you're not speaking in tongues, you're probably not saved. Okay, that is a direct affront to the doctrine of salvation. I'm sorry, but it's just flat wrong. Baptismal regeneration. The idea that you must be baptized in order to be saved, which I've done a whole series on baptismal regeneration. If if you're convinced of that, check that series out. But it's absolutely wrong. The the idea that uh, if you have not been baptized, you are not saved. Okay, tell that to Cornelius and his family who received the Holy Spirit and then got baptized. Because, again, we see very clearly in the scriptures that receiving the Holy Spirit is, uh, um, not, it doesn't always happen, but when it does happen, it's a sign that somebody has been saved. The man 
who was hanging on the cross next to Jesus did not get a baptism. Okay, I think we can safely conclude that he did not get baptized um, <laughs> unless they kind of, you know, pulled that cross out of the hole and, and kind of dunked him while he was still on it and then put it back up. Okay, but Christ said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, anyway, I don't want to go down that road too far. Uh, far. I've got a whole series on that. Again, baptismal regeneration, totally uh, an affront to the doctrine of salvation. Okay, doctrine matters. Okay. Damaging effects of bad doctrine. Sometimes bad doctrine insults God by elevating man while bringing down the Father or Christ. We see that a lot in the Word of Faith movement, um, the little God's doctrine, these types of things. Um, Word of Faith is notorious for elevating man and bringing God down. Uh, Bad doctrine can lead you into sin. Okay. Uh, Bad doctrine for example, uh, there are many bad doctrines out there that are saying that abortion's okay, that fornication is okay, uh, that homosexual relationships are okay. Okay, bad doctrine. Okay, it will lead you into sin from time to time. Uh, bad doctrine can destroy our witness to the world. People see that uh, suddenly we're subscribing to flat Earth theory. Okay, or just pretty much anything coming from the hyper charismatic circus nonsense camp, okay, that are running around and, and barking like dogs and twitching on floors, and women are laying on the floor in a, in a giving birth posture, and they're supposedly giving birth to something in the spirit. Guys, that's embarrassing. That's just flat out embarrassing, and it's not good to our witness. No, bad doctrine can destroy our witness. Um, bad doctrine, as we already have seen, can hurt believers, okay? Uh, we already talked about the healing and the atonement doctrine. That's, I've watched that personally hurt many people. Uh, covering theology, the idea, this is something that's very prevalent in this new apostolic uh, reformation movement. Uh, I would venture to guess that many people listening to this podcast today unknowingly are part of the new apostolic reformation that you are sitting under a pastor who believes that he must submit to one of these apostles and prophets that are part of this new apostolic reformation apostolic network. It's a worldwide network of apostles and prophets. Uh, You have no, I mean, it is so astounding to see how big this movement really is. Um, And covering theology is the idea that all the people in the congregation must blindly submit to the pastor's uh, uh, words, to his teachings, to whatever he says, okay? And to question him is almost like questioning God himself, okay? And it'll, it'll get you removed from church, okay? You, you'll First, you'll start getting chastised in really almost uh, juvenile ways, the, the way that they will um, punish you in these churches. But eventually, they'll remove your any leadership that you have, and they will remove you from the church if you keep it up. Okay, covering theology, very damaging to people's faith. Um, And then, of course, uh, and I've mentioned this in many other uh, uh, podcasts as well, uh, apostles and prophets who prophesy falsely, uh, that can that can ruin people's lives. Absolutely. When you tell somebody that the Lord is going to heal their baby and they decide not to go get medical treatment for that child, but rather. Uh, trust in this prophecy because they believe that God actually spoke it and they don't get that medical attention and that baby dies. 
I, I'm not making that story up, actually, that happened. I've seen that happen. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Bad doctrine also has been leading children out of our church. Okay? There's so many reasons why our kids are leaving the church nowadays. But it, it seems like they're leaving in droves, right? I mean, not in our church, uh, but in so many others where they're teaching nothing but topical messages and ushy-gushy, make you feel good. You know, the kids' ministries are... Um, it, it almost feels like they're just in there to teach stories, okay? But they're not teaching the Bible. They're not teaching the Word. They're not teaching theology. And by golly, they're not teaching apologetics. They're not teaching how to defend the faith. Kids are leaving. They're leaving. They go to college and they don't look back. They're done with church, okay? Uh, why? Well, they haven't been taught proper theology. They don't take church seriously, Maybe they come from a Word of Faith church where those Word of Faith churches rarely teach the Bible. Uh, I've been in so many of them, and um, it's rare. It's absolutely rare. Once in a while, the pastor will bring a Bible and teach from it, but it'll be so out of context that any real student of the Bible in the room will start gritting their teeth about halfway through as they realize just how much of a train wreck, how much heresy is being pushed from the pulpit. Uh, Yeah, anyway... Many kids leave the church because uh, their church is anti-science. They get this anti-science feel. Uh, Rather than the church understanding the creation-evolution debate, having a good grasp of what it's all about, who are the key players, and what are they saying, uh, and, and taking this thing head on. Don't dodge it. Don't cower from it, but take it head on. Again, doing it in love in some kind of a winsome way. Uh, Another reason, kids, but again, going back to doctrine, right? This is doctrine. Genesis chapter 1 through 11, clearly teaching that God created the heavens and the earth. And when you look at the beginning of the Bible, um, it's clearly showing a a, a story, a narrative that has nothing to do with evolution. If you don't take it seriously, your kids are not going to take the Bible seriously. And they're going to be out. See ya. Gone. Okay, uh, bad do- doctrine can lead to um, legalism. Seen that? Oh man, I've seen that. It's 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 depressing. Uh, where you'll have some parents that they're so intent on on following all the laws of Moses or whatever. They they want to be so legalistic. They want to follow so closely that they actually push their children away. There's got to be a balance, guys. Uh, and, and where that is, I'm not exactly sure, but legalism is not the way. And I watch these people and their children have to eat all kosher food. And they've got to, I mean, it, it is to the nines. You must observe all the feasts. You cannot observe any of the pagan holidays, such as Christmas uh, and Easter and, and these types of things. And as soon as their kids get to an age where they can choose for themselves, they are out of there. Again, theology matters. Doctrine matters. And again, if you don't know doctrine, if you have not taught your kids doctrine, they're going to be sitting at home one day and there's going to be a knock at the door and a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness is going to be there and those kids are going to get eaten alive. <laughs> Those Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, they are trained to tear the average Christian apart, and they will. Again, if we're not teaching good theology, good doctrine, that's the kind of stuff that happens. And now, lastly, before we stop here, and you guys might think I'm getting a little bit extreme, 
but it's true, okay? And I admit, this is kind of on the extreme side of things, but bad doctrine can actually lead to people's deaths. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Look at the Roman Catholics and how many Bible-believing Christians they killed simply because these Bible-believing Christians had a copy of the Bible. They were trying to learn and understand good biblical theology. And because of the bad doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, okay, those Christians were put to death. What about Mormons and and, and, uh, their doctrine of the blood atonement, where sometimes somebody's sin is so egregious uh, that the only way to atone for their sins is by their own blood. Interesting. How about Jehovah's Witnesses and their doctrine of uh, blood transfusions? By the way, sorry, but the, the Mormons' blood atonement doctrine that's not as prevalent nowadays. That still happens kind of behind closed doors a little bit uh, in, in Utah, but it's, it's fairly rare at this point, although that was a big deal for the uh, Latter-day Saint movement for a while. What about Jehovah's Witnesses and blood transfusions? The idea that the Old Testament clearly teaches that you are not to consume blood. Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses took that teaching to mean, well, if you get a blood transfusion, that's like consuming blood. Therefore, you're not allowed to get blood transfusions. How many Jehovah's Witnesses and their children have died because of that bad doctrine? How about all those churches out there who are handling snakes? (laughs) Sorry, it it does. It it is a little goofy to me. Uh, I apologize. But really, again, people have died from doing that. So anyway, all right, let's wrap it up. Okay, I think I've beat a dead horse. Doctrine is critical. Doctrine is incredibly important to our Christian walk. Okay, we should be seeking the truth from the scripture. Okay, we should be looking for who God is and what he wants from us. And we should be taking it to those around us. Again, not in a divisive way, okay? We don't have to be divisive when we're bringing people to the Word, when we're bringing people to the Bible. The, the, the goal in any interaction that concerns doctrine, okay, right doctrine, or any other debate for that matter, the goal is not to leave them in a puddle on the ground of their own blood as you beat them senseless, metaphorically, of course, <laughs> with the truth, Okay? Does that make sense? No. What we're supposed to be doing is lovingly, in a winsome manner, trying to persuade them to the truth. Persuade them of the truth. We want to put our arm around them, again, metaphorically speaking, and lead them down the right path. So if you won the argument, but lost them as far as persuading them, You lost, my friend. You lost big. And I think all of us, especially those who are concerned about apologetics, have done that a few times. Oh, I've got all my facts. I'm going to take this guy down. And you do. You totally slaughter him with the facts. But guess what? You have hardened their hearts. And there's probably 0% chance of you ever, or anybody else for that matter, persuading them to actually accept the truth, to step under the truth and to to walk in that truth, okay? So we want to win, all right? We want to win them, okay? And so it's got to be done in humility and in love, okay? 
always allow them to save face in these conversations as well. You know, you want to end the conversation in such a way where they don't feel embarrassed for believing the wrong thing, but rather they should feel appreciative that you came along and showed them the truth. And that's a challenge, guys. That's really challenging to pull off. And uh, it's, it's hard to do. Uh, see my teaching on sharing your faith when you're in over your head. Um, I based that series on a book by Greg Kokel called Tactics, which is still one of my favorite books. I don't agree with uh, Greg Kokel on everything as far as his theology goes, but the guy's got a really good approach to how to talk to people, especially people who are your friends. Uh, who you're going to have time with. You know what I mean? It's not just like that chance encounter at the store that th- this is it. It's it's now or never. <laughs> you know, you got to convince them right now or you're, you're not going to see them ever again. But these uh, friendship encounters where you've got somebody you're going to see, see for years to come, hopefully, uh, how you can communicate with them and uh, winsomely persuade them to the truth. So anyway, uh, I think I've thoroughly beat a dead horse. Uh, Psalm chapter 138, verse 2. David said this, love it. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for love, kindness, and for your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Mm. Say law. Think on that one for a minute. You have magnified your word above all your name. Okay, guys. It's been awesome. Thanks for listening. Again, this is Michael Bohm, Youth Apologetics Training. You guys have a wonderful week. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.